You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. We are in the book of Galatians, and we're starting Galatians chapter 5 today. I was thinking as I was studying this passage and uh, just thinking about different circumstances, I've had the opportunity to do um, ride-alongs with law enforcement uh, probably more times than I can count. Um, I I did my first ride-along when I was 17 years old, which is too young, but... Um, my father was a policeman, and so he pulled some strings and allowed me to ride with him and and see what he did uh, in a day's work. And that was that was a great privilege. Uh, later, I worked for several years with the Lakewood PD as a chaplain and got to do ride-alongs with those guys. But by far, and I've shared this experience before, my most memorable ride-along took place with my late brother-in-law. And uh, we were living on the East Coast at the time, and we came to my wife's hometown in East Texas, and my brother-in-law was a Texas state trooper. And so he said, hey, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, you know, hanging with my mother and father-in-law. He's like, do you want to do? And I said, yes, and didn't listen to the rest of it. But just kidding. Um, kind of. And so I went and I rode with him. It was like an episode of Cop's Life. You know what I mean? Like, I'm there with him, and he he was a, a drug interdiction officer at the time, and so they had a dash cam in the in the car, and there was a monitor right there on the dashboard that showed you the dash cam. So really, he had a microphone and everything. It was like Cops Live. It was great. And we were pulling people over and intimidating people and, you know, busting kneecaps. I'm just kidding. We weren't doing, we were pulling people over. We didn't do the other stuff. But we pulled a Cadillac with out-of-state plates over on the interstate and began to talk to these folks and they quickly divulged to us that they had drugs in the car, which was exciting. Then we popped the trunk and this, you guys have to go back. This was when marijuana was illegal. Um, it's still illegal in Texas, I think, but there were two there were two bags of marijuana totaling 90 pounds. It was a lot of, yeah, it was a lot of drugs. And the whole time I'm like, bad boys, bad boys. You know, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. So we arrest the individuals. Uh, it was a man and a woman. We take him to jail. They, he kind of drops them off. And then he says to me, all right, now I'm going to go into the interrogation room. Do you want to go? Heck yeah, I want to go. And he says, okay. And he had one of those blue windbreakers that had the yellow on the back, you know, and it said, I don't know, it's, I think it said police. And he gave, he had given me that. I was wearing that. So I was already feeling good, you know. And he goes, okay, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go into the room. When we go into the room, he's going to be seated, seated at a table. I'm going to sit at a table. You come in. Put your hands behind your back and stand with your back against the door and just look at him mean. I was like, oh, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> and so I did. 
you know, I, I just standing there and I'm just, I mean, I am just burning a hole through this dude, man. And my brother-in-law starts talking to him about the charges that he's going to face. And then he starts talking to him about the consequences of those charges. That it's this much time in jail and it's this and it's that. And this guy just begins to weep. I mean, this guy just begins to cry. This grown man is just overwhelmed with what he is facing. And honestly, in that moment, it became real, more real to me what we were doing. Up to that point, I'd been having a lot of fun, but now I felt bad for this guy. Long story short, they weren't his drugs. We went and took him to a hotel. I told you this was like Cops Live. He called the guy whose drugs they were and whose car it was. He came down from another state. He, he didn't even come to the hotel room. He went right to the car, popped the trunk, grabbed the drugs. Cops came and arrested him. It was great. We had a great night. But I'll never forget Standing, standing in that jail cell, seeing that man weep because of the consequences of what he was facing. That he was going to go from freedom to bondage. He was headed to jail. And Paul in Galatians talks to us about freedom versus the bondage of the law. And he says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 1, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. You've been set free. Why would you want to go back? He goes on in verse number two and says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive the, by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. So a couple of things. Notice the language that Paul uses here. He says in verse number one, so Christ has truly set us free. I think it's interesting that, that he puts that idea of truly. Because he could have just said, Christ has set us free. That's true, right? But he says, no, listen, I, I want to emphasize this. I want it. This is really real. He's truly set you free. It's similar language that Jesus himself used, right? 
Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain, John chapter 8, verse 31, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But they said, we are descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? It's interesting that this discourse that takes place between Jesus and the crowd. Jesus said, listen, if you'll follow my father and his commands, you will be set free. And, and these Jews said, we, we've never been slaves to anybody. Well, that wasn't true. They'd been slaves in Egypt. They'd come out of Egypt, and now they were under Roman occupation. But they understood that they were having a spiritual conversation and they said, we are not slaves to anyone. But Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. You are really free. And so Paul says in Galatians 5.1, you are really free. You are truly free. I was thinking about this in relationship to sin and, and how we live it out. Because if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, right? You, you receive God's grace in your life. You repent of the wrong things that you've done and God saves you. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you're born again. You're spiritually born. Everything you've ever done, every sin you ever will do is forgiven. That's We walk in that grace, amen, as, as believers in Jesus. And yet we still struggle with sin. And that's the bummer of the Christian life, isn't it? that we still struggle with sin. Even though Christ has given us victory over that sin, we still have sin. We still mess up. We still lie. We still lose our temper. We still do things we shouldn't do. We don't do things we should do. All of those things. And then I thought, that's because we're truly free. See, if we weren't free, if we receive Christ as our Savior and then we never sinned again because God exerted his control on us, then we wouldn't be free. You with me? Let me put it another way. Maybe you're here and you have kids. I have three. I love all of my children. When they're young, I don't believe in giving kids a lot of choices, just personally, you know? Some parents are like, hey, Bobby, what do you want? I'm like, hey, Bobby, do this. That's just my parenting style. I'm not saying it's right. It's balanced with my wife. She really is nice. But as kids get older, you give them choices. And I'm fine with giving my kids choices as long as they make the decisions I want them to make. You with me? That's fine. But the first time you give your kid a choice, which is, and then they make a decision you don't like, which is usually the first time you give your kid a choice. 
I mean, when they're little, you might give them a choice. Hey, do you want chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream? And you don't really care. But as they get older, they begin to make decisions for themselves. And that becomes a real tension as a parent. Because you start out with these really grandiose ideas, right? Like, I'm going to give my kids freedom. I'm going to be that cool dad. And I'm going to let them choose. And then they want to make a decision that you don't like. And you're like, I am going to tell that stinking kid exactly. I mean, maybe you don't do that. But that's my reaction. See, if I really want to give my children choice, then I have to let them make the decision I don't want them to make. That's real freedom. That's real responsibility. We understand that with our children. The same thing is true with God. We really are free. God gives us the opportunity to mess up. But we're also free to walk in his grace and his forgiveness. You are truly free. And he says, don't get tied up again in slavery. Maybe you're like me. You watch a show, movie. There's a guy who gets out of prison. Maybe he's committing another crime. And then that guy always says, you know, I can't go back. I can't go back. We all under, like, I've never been to prison. And I still understand that sentiment, right? So why would you be in the bondage of sin, be released from that, and want to go back to it? That's what Paul's talking about here when the Galatians were going back to the law. That's what he's talking about when we put a bunch of rules and, and, and precepts in place and say the only way to be spiritual is to, to do this checklist. Why would you want to go back to slavery. He says, listen, I tell you this, verse 2. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit. I say again, if you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. Now, Paul's really going to talk about this. And this is a weird thing for us because circumcision isn't a religious thing in in our culture today for, for most of us. But this was one of the main issues because there were these Gentiles who were believing in Jesus as their Savior. And then these false teachers were coming in and saying, well, What you've got to do is you've got to follow these dietary laws and you've got to obey these holidays and you've got to celebrate these feasts and all of these things. Those things aren't that bad. But one of the main things that they said to the males is you've got to be circumcised. Now that's not pleasant on a newborn, but if you're a full-grown adult, that's a commitment, amen? And so this is what these false teachers were saying. They were saying, this is what you have to do. And Paul said, you can't trust in that. 
See, when we come to Jesus Christ and we accept him as our Savior, we use language like put our faith in Jesus. That means we are trusting in Christ. That means we're not trusting in us. And so Paul here, in using circumcision as an example, says you can trust that or you can trust Jesus. You can trust your good works, your wisdom, your ideas, what you think is best, or you can trust in what God would have for you. But you can't do both. You've got to decide where your faith lies. See, if right now I am trusting my legs to hold me up. Now, they are not as trustworthy as they used to be. They creak, they pop, they ache, but in general, I'm not worried about it today. Now, I might fall off this stage, I might do something else, but I believe my legs are strong enough to hold me up. But I might decide to put my weight on this wall right here. And if I do, and I pull my feet up, now if it collapses, I'll be embarrassed. But where's my trust? It's in the wall. Right? There's no leaning in Christianity. You trust in Jesus. You trust in yourself. You trust in what God has for you. Or you trust in your wisdom. Your desires. Paul said, why having been freed? Would you go back to slavery? Why having been freed and putting your faith in Christ, would you now put your faith in your own works that you know are going to fail? This isn't the idea of losing your salvation. Notice the language that Paul uses here. He says, for if you're trying, Galatians 5, 4, if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Now we hear language like that. We might think it's the idea of losing our relationship with God. But over and over in the book of Galatians, Paul makes clear he is writing to fellow believers. But what he's saying is you're cut off from the benefits of it. When you turn and do things on your own, you lose the benefit of what Christ would have for you. Parents can do that, right? Or, I mean, children can do that with parents. I mean, parents can offer their support, their, their help, but then kids can decide they're going to make their own decisions. And sometimes as parents, we have to go, okay. And that can be hard. That's what God does with us. We come to him, we receive his grace, his forgiveness, and then we turn back and go, oh, I think I got this. And God goes, haven't we covered that? Haven't we determined that you, in fact, do not got this? But we go, oh, no, now I, now I think I really do. The 
goal of Christianity is not so that we are with God so that then we can go do it on our own. It's so that we become more and more dependent on him. But we continually want to fall back on ourselves and think, well, maybe I can do enough that God would be pleased. We can't. Finally, Paul says this in verses five and six, but we who live by the spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing himself, itself in love. A couple of things he says in these two verses. Number one, we wait. Notice verse five. We eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. See, I mentioned to you that when God frees us, we still have our sin nature. We're free to sin and we struggle with that. But God has promised us a day when we will no longer have our sin nature. When we go to heaven, when we spend eternity with God, one of the promises there is that we will have the mind of Christ and our sin nature will be no more. I, I've sat and just thought about that, and it is difficult for me to imagine me without sin. Some of you are like, I see that with you for sure, yeah. But I'm saying, like, my sin is with me all the time. I mean, I, I can get angry. I can have wrong motives. I can be prideful. Those are just the ones I'm thinking of for this morning. And yet the promise is that I'll be in the presence of God without sin. This is the righteousness, the promise that we have in Christ. This is what we have to look forward to. And so we wait on that. And then he says in verse number six, at the end of that, where he says there's no benefit to being circumcised or uncircumcised, but he says what is important is faith expressing itself in love. See, there is works involved, but it's not we do things to earn God's favor. It's we do things because God has extended his favor on us. It is that God calls us to do good things, but God doesn't say, okay, listen, I'm going to forgive you. Now you've got to try to please me at all times or I'm going to zap you. Because then it's up to us. Then we're, we're trying to always earn God's favor. God says, listen, you cannot earn it. We've been talking about that week after week after week through the book of Galatians. But he says, because we've received God's grace, we are truly free. Yes, sometimes that means we're free to sin. Yes, sometimes that means we struggle with sin. But we're also free to love. We're free to do good works. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, our salvation, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. 
James said it this way in James 2.17. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. I sat up here on this wall. If I, if I took 10 minutes and I told you about how strong this wall was, I talked to you about the thickness of the wood and the, the fasteners that put it together and the engineering that took place. And I said, I promise you this wall could hold my weight, no problem. But I never put my weight on it. Is that really faith? Faith is demonstrated in what I do. We put our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. And then as we have received his forgiveness, as we've received his grace in our life, we are free to do good works. And we do those things not to earn God's favor, but as a response of his grace in us. Paul goes on in Galatians chapter 5, in verse number 7, and he says this. He says in the first few verses, don't go back to, to bondage, to slavery. And then he, he uses the analogy of a race in verse 7. He says, you are running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, he says, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Paul uses some strong language here, and I want us to unpack it here for a second. He says, first of all, who hindered you from running this race? You were doing good, and now you're struggling. Why is that? Is that because you've been studying God's word? No, it was because these teachers came, these false teachers. And notice what Paul says about them. It certainly isn't God. For he is the one who called you to freedom. These teachers, they are not of God. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 12, Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 30? He was, he was casting out demons and they accused him of, of casting out demons in the power of Satan. And he, he began to talk about that. And then in Matthew 12 and verse 30, he says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Jesus said this, for me or against me. There's just two sides. I always think about the story in the Old Testament uh, where the nation of Israel got right to the Jordan edge of the Jordan River as God had brought them out of slavery. Moses had died. And Joshua is the new leader. And he's planning to, they have to attack Jericho. So they've got to go across the Jordan. They've got to attack Jericho. And Joshua gets a vision of this man with a flaming sword. 
And he and Joshua comes to him and he says, are you on our side or their side? And the guy said, no. That's not the proper answer to that question. But he said, as the captain of the Lord of hosts armies, I stand before you. See, the problem was Joshua asked the wrong question. Joshua asked, are you on my side or my enemy's side? And the guy said, the angel said, no, 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 no. The question is, are you on my side? I am the power here. I am the captain of the armies of the Lord of hosts. We're going to win. You on our side? The Bible says Joshua fell to the ground and worship, by the way. Jesus said, you're for me or you're against me. We want to do things to get Jesus on our side. Well, if I'm good enough, if I can follow these things, maybe Jesus will come over to my side. That's not the way it works. If it's, if it's a pickup game, you're not the captain. Are you on his side? And Paul writing here says, who hindered you? It wasn't of God. He, he set you free. He's letting them know these are false teachers. These are teachers against the things of God. He uses another analogy here. He says, this false teaching is like, verse 9, a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I don't do a lot of baking. My mom, when I grew, I grew up with all boys, my mom baked cookies all the time. I'm going to tell you how spoiled I was as a kid. I look back, I was spoiled. First of all, my grandparents owned a cattle ranch. Every year they used to give us a beef for Christmas. We ate steak all the time as a kid. I didn't know any better. I look back now, I'm like, that was great. Not only that, my mom used to make homemade cookies all the time. So much so, I would beg her to buy Chips Ahoy. <laughs> I know. I had a Chips Ahoy. It's been, it's been probably a year ago. I was like, Ugh, are you kidding me? Why would I put, the, like, why would I waste calories in my face on this? Like, why would I do that? First of all, I, if nothing else, I can do bacon break. That's way better. But my mom used to make homemade cookies all the time. And she thought it was important that we know how to bake. So I learned what a tablespoon is and a teaspoon and the difference and a cup and a half a cup, how to mix. Mostly she just made us mix, I feel like. But we made cookies. And we ate a lot of cookie dough. And in making cookies, you don't use yeast, but in breads and pastries, you do. And you don't need much. You just put a little in, and a little yeast permeates the whole batch of dough. And in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, yeast is a, is a sign of sin. It's also called leaven. That's why at Passover, the Jews were instructed to eat unleavened bread. 
That's why when we receive the Lord's Supper and we have the bread and the wine, the wine is symbolic or the juice is symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the bread is symbolic of his body. And so we use unleavened, non-yeast having bread. That's probably not the correct terminology. Don't go to the store and ask for that. Because Jesus had no sin. And Paul said these ideas of the law, these ideas that you have to do and that you have to earn, they're just little bits of yeast that permeate the entire batch of dough. These little untruths sprinkled in affect everything else. And in our mindset, when we begin, when we forget the grace of God and we think, oh, I'm pretty good, it ruins everything. Just like yeast affects a whole batch of dough, that sin affects every area of our life. Paul says, that he is preaching the truth and these others are preaching a lie. And then Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 12, Paul says this, I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. The NIV says it this way, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. I bet you didn't know that was in there. Right? Some of you are like, whoo. Like, what do you think Paul really thinks? Do he, does he leave any doubt? Right? Tell, I mean, tell us how you really feel about this, Paul. This is the seriousness of what we're talking about. Paul said, listen, you want to know what I think about these false teachers? And this wasn't a personal thing. This wasn't Paul just not really liking them. He's saying, listen, what they are proclaiming is infecting and affecting every part of your spiritual walk. And it's got to it's gotta stop. You can't have any of it. I want to get to these last few verses, verses 13 through 15 of Galatians 5, as we wrap this up this morning. This is the theme verse that we've used for this entire series. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Don't use your freedom, verse 13, to satisfy your sinful nature. Listen, you're not free to do whatever you want. And he says, beware, in verse number 15, that you bite and devour one another. 
Because see, if I'm trying to earn God's favor, what am I going to do? I'm not going to set up the standard of God or Jesus, right? Because they're holy and righteous, and I know I can't get to that. That's why we receive God by grace. You with me? So I'm not going to compare myself to Jesus because I'm not going to earn God's favor. So who would I compare myself to? Somebody else, right? That's what I would do. I mean, I would say, well, you know, I mean, I'm sure God loves me and I'm sure God wants to bless me because after all, I'm better than that guy. I mean, I may not be perfect, but really you should stop right there. You're not perfect. But that's not what we do. We think, well, I'm a little better than them. I don't sin as much as, I mean, I see that guy messing up all the time. And we begin to think God must be pretty impressed with us. And he's not. Don't bite and devour one another. Don't use your freedom to do whatever you want to do. You have been set free to love. And he says, listen, the whole thing can be hung on this idea. Love your neighbor as yourself. That was, that was God's, that was Jesus's answer when they tried to trick him, right? They said, what's the great commandment? Jesus said, well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with everything that you have, you love God. And the second commandment is it's, it's, it's A, it's one and one A. It's just like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. They tried to trick him because they thought he'll leave something out and, 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 and we, can, we can say, well, you said this, but maybe this isn't important. But he said, love God and love others. And everything, all of, all of scripture, all of the commandments hang on that, Jesus said. And Paul would repeat that here. Matter of fact, Jesus said this in John chapter 13. I want to close with this verse this morning. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. And then he's going to tell us how to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. The Bible says that we should meditate upon Scripture. That's really just the idea of thinking about it. I want to give you a challenge this week. Go to John chapter 13 and verse 34 and think about, spend some time just thinking about what he's saying here. Maybe get out a piece of paper and just write down, how does Jesus love me? He sacrificed himself for me. He forgives me. Even when I ask for forgiveness for a sin, he forgives me, and then I go and do that sin again, he still offers forgiveness to me. He's always with me. He never leaves me. And then he says, love as I have loved you. What does it look like for me to love like Jesus loved. That's a big deal, is it not?
Not, be, not so that God will be pleased with us because God has already loved us. We're free to have this kind of love. And he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The distinguishing mark and characteristic of a follower of Jesus Christ is his love for others. I have two brothers and, and we are not twins, but we have characteristics that are the same. When I look at my hands sometimes, I, I am reminded of my father's hands. I, we got like big old fat sausage fingers. And my brothers have hands just like mine. There are characteristics about my family. See this? How could you miss it? It's a, it's a family characteristic. You say, yeah, that's a big one, preacher. I see. Yeah, I know. I even see it when I look down it. You understand that, right? You have family characteristics. You look like your family. You might, you might try to deny that, and then sometime... You ever, you ever have kids? If you're a parent, you have kids, and you find yourself saying exactly what your parents said. Things that you promised yourself you would never say to your children. And then you're like, that is a good line, though. I will give you something to cry about. Whatever it is. That was mine. You know what the characteristic of Jesus's, of God's kids are? They love each other. You know how to spot one of God's children? The brothers and the sisters love one another. The example was set by Jesus himself. He loved us and then said, just love each other the way I loved you. And in that simple statement is a lot. Amen? Not to earn God's favor, but because we're free to love. We're free to forgive. We're free to look past one another's faults. See, if it's just about keeping score and earning God's favor, then I'm keeping track of how many times I forgive you. I'm keeping track of what I do for you and are you doing enough to reciprocate to me. But that's not how Jesus loved us. God loved us with a love that we can never repay. Amen? Amen. And that's how we're to love one another. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you so much for your word and for the, your love that we can experience. God, if there's somebody here this morning that does not know you as Savior, that has never experienced the love and the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, God, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. I pray, God, that they would find somebody that they came with or see me after the service, Lord, and find out how they can experience the love that you have for them. God, 
I pray for your followers, for me and, and, and brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I pray that you would remind us that we have been given grace and forgiveness. And God, we are called to give that to one another. God, help us to love the way you have loved us. We thank you for your word and we thank you for your son. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. We appreciate you being here today. Maybe you have questions about what we talked about this morning. Maybe you have some questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I'll be out in the lobby after the service. There is no more important conversation that we could have than that right there. Uh, thanks again for being here. We're going to be dismissed in a song in just a second. But before that, we want to receive the offering. And so if our ushers would come forward this morning, I do want to remind you and invite you to our second hour. Uh, we've got some things for the kids down in the basement. Uh, Don Scadden uh, is leading a connection group in the uh room right behind the coffee bar there. And if you're interested in knowing more about the church, uh, we'd invite you to discover Belmar. Uh, we're going to meet right down here at the front in the auditorium right after the service. Uh, and we'll uh, have have a time there uh, of learning more about the, our, our church and our ministry and what God's doing here. Let's pray for our offering this morning. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your goodness to us. God, thank you uh, for the blessings that you've poured out on us as a church. Lord, I pray that you would bless this offering. Use it, God, for the building of your kingdom. Bless those, Lord, who are so faithful to give. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.